Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. And the wisdom it gave her. This spiritual fix. Two mystical mamas hacking the self-help game. With Anna Fiddler. And Christina Wilson. Welcome to this spiritual fix. (laughs) What's your drug of choice, Christina? (laughs) This week? (laughs) It's anything at actually water is my drug of choice this week. Oh, that's a good drug. If you can believe that. Um... You know, when one of the things that Charles, um, one of our teachers, uh, has told me is that when you, when you're going through like a process, like a really heavy process in whatever way, like the the emotions start to crystallize in your body if you don't have enough water, right? Like dehydrate. Yeah, but it's like you emotionally dehydrate too, which I think is a really interesting concept, and I've noticed that because like at one point. At one point I was like drinking just like a gallon or two of water a day and I felt like amazing. And I remember I asked him, I was like, what's going on? I just like, I feel like water is my like antidepressant. And he's like, yeah, eventually you'll get to feel like that all the time. Like you'll get to feel this kind of elation all the time, but the water helps facilitate it because it's like helping you process and not have anything crystallize in your body. Fleshing it out. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The solution to pollution is... Dilution, <laughs> dilute those emotions out. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like that makes our bodies feel like super fun sites, right? Like, <laughs> not that, not that emotions are pollution, but well, I mean, they are, I mean, they are kind of right. Like, because emotions are like, it's, it's something that's stuck. Like, I don't know. I kind of feel like an emotion is like, it's like a package of energy that has a name and we're the one who puts the name on it, which is how we then make it kind of pollution, right? Cause if it sticks in our body and it has a name, I think if you resist it, it becomes pollution. And if you just let it flow and accept it, it's just part of the human experience. Right. But yeah, exactly. And I think that part of part of, part of not resisting it is, is all about like part of, part of not resisting it is about not naming it and not being attached to the name of it. Not to be like, Oh, anger is coming up again. Like, Oh, anger. Cause you know, you like, I feel like when you tag the emotion with like a name, you become more attached to it or you like create patterns about it. You know what I mean? Like you kind of like, you judge it. Yeah. 
End of story. Yep. <laughs> you judge it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Instead of just being like, I'm feeling what I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was on the way over here. I like, I was thinking so much about what you said about how, um, which we should give context for like in a minute, but like what you said about how I feel like so many Western minds when they take on Eastern thought are really having this trouble with like thinking that it's going to change their behavior, right? Like thinking that meditation is like you meditate so that you don't become angry or you edit, you know, you know, like as opposed to just like accepting like that very subtle shift that says like, instead of trying to fix myself by meditating, by make my, make myself happier, right? Like it's more just that, like, like you can't aim to make yourself happier by meditating or to make yourself less angry by meditating. Like that's not the aim. The aim is to be wake up. Yeah. It's to be equanimous and accept and like, just like accept what is right. Like our, um, medita- uh, our mutual meditation teacher, how we met SN Goinka. He said that he first reason why he started meditating was because he had these tremendous migraines and he went to the meditation teacher and he says, I heard meditation will cure my migraines, teach me everything. And he said, no, meditation will teach you ultimate truth. If you're seeking ultimate truth and liberation, then come meditate. Your migraine will go away. Like a natural byproduct, but you don't build a, what do you say? You don't build a sugar cane factory to get molasses. So it's like, if we are sitting down to meditate every day with the goal of like becoming happier or curing this um, physical ailment or whatever, we're not seeing the main goal, which is just to wake up to truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other stuff comes as a byproduct, but, yeah. but again, you know, aim a little higher. <laughs> exactly. And what about you? What has been your drug of choice this week? What's been your spiritual drug? My spiritual drug of choice this week is acceptance of the moment to moment, like accepting, um, the now the present moment, moment to moment, no matter how boring it gets. So even accepting the boringness of it. And that's actually the topic of today is, um, you know, we're discussing how, different drugs of choice, different meditation practices and different techniques we use to become more, to wake up more. Mm -hmm. And, um, the thing that woke me up or helped wake me up, I'm not fully awake, obviously, um, was a a vision from a monk who taught me about acceptance, which is what we'll talk about today. I'm so excited to talk about that. But before we get into that, the great conjunction happened yesterday. Oh, yes. <laughs> Jupiter Saturn conjunction first time in was it 800 years? Well, it happened it happens every 20 years, but it's never been this close since 400 years ago, which was like, you know, 1640s around sometime, but it was behind the sun, like it was during the day the last time. Okay, so you couldn't see it. Yeah, we always like to be like it's the last time in like 5 million yeah. years since this has happened, but the, the nice thing or the bad thing about this world is that it is cyclical, right? And it's right. Like, but yeah, but it's still, it was pretty amazing. Did you go out and see it? I went outside and saw it and I've been just giddy knowing that this has come because um, I know someone I really adore who was born in 1989 has been having her Saturn return. And so to have your Saturn return during a pandemic is fucking hell. So to know that she's finally going to shift out of her Saturn return, um, and into Aquarius, which is the peace and harmony 
vibe. It's just so good to know that that chapter is over for a lot of people born in 89. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and for the rest of us, right? Like the last couple of days, I thought it was hilarious about like, everyone's like, everyone's like, Oh, look, we're going into the age of Aquarius. And then, and then one person was like, and remember, it's a very volatile time. <laughs> I mean, besides the fact that you've had a headache, right? For three days, this yeah. is the longest I've had a headache. Yeah. Like ongoing and nothing. Have you tried to like treat it at all or just kind of accepting it at this point? It's what I would, our, our beloved teacher, Robbie would call an ascension headache. It's, it's like just this dull generalized headache and Mm -hmm. it happens when I'm processing deep stuff and I just feel like I'm just processing and it's just going to go away on its own. Yep. I should probably drink more water. (laughs) That's right. Your drug of choice. (laughs) Don't let it crystallize. Um, But be okay if it is, except (laughs) if it does. Except if it does. Except Um, if it doesn't. Except if it does, except if it doesn't. Um, Yeah, because I think think for me the experience of... The experience of really wanting to, like, you know, go into a new chapter or whatever... And it's been slowly happening all summer. Like, I mean, I think both of us have had just like realization after realization after realization this summer, right? And it's finally, for me, it's getting to the point where I actually feel like I can feel the sustained love period or the extended non-resistant period or the extended whatever. Like, I'm starting to feel that. Right. And I'm starting to feel how I'm really not like... I'm not, I kind of feel like a vessel of God for lack of a better word. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great, that's great. I think for a lot of people throughout this year and it coincided with the pandemic Mm -hmm. or maybe the pandemic caused it, don't know. But I think a lot of people went through, let's call it spiritual boot camp, just like a lot of life lessons coming at you. Boom, boom, boom. And those of us who had a lot of techniques and tools in our bag to handle them and process them and make sense of them did an awesome job of like getting through this pandemic, learning so many things. And a lot Mm -hmm. of other people got stuck, which is also fine, you know, Mm -hmm. but, um, this was definitely like boot camp, boot camp for everybody. It was, it was. And I think that that's one of the things that we want to talk about on drug of choice in general is like, what are those techniques and tools that we use? Because, they've helped us so much. And <laughs> like, I feel like I've grown twice or three times this year than I would have had I had I been in any other year. And then I couldn't have done it without you and the tools and mm-hmm. our teacher, because yeah. if you don't have the tools, what are you going to do with all this? Yeah. You're just going to kind of be stuck and you're going to probably feel really helpless and hopeless. Cause I definitely had lots of periods of, of having that, right? Like, but it was always like, Oh, I'm feeling like this. Not at first it was, how do I stop feeling like this? And then it was like, Oh, let's explore this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 50 dark nights of the soul this year. Pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And like, it was so funny yesterday. I was hilarious because Um, this is, this is another topic, but you know, the whole idea of yesterday I was finally like, I'm finally going to go and actually see if I need to get a drug because I'm so volatile. Like emotionally I'm so volatile. And I recognize that some of that is just because I channel lots of stuff all the time. I think I'm naturally volatile anyway, but like being a woman and channeling the divine feminine and da, 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 da. And so, you know, I was finally going to like reach out to like modern medicine, allopathic medicine, which is just 
literally so far from like anything that I would ever want to do. But I was like, okay, I get it. I get that there could be some niceness and consistency of like my emotions and like maybe I should try and do that. And then the the person didn't show up to the psychiatrist. Me- the psychiatrist didn't show up to the meeting. And then like, uh, like 45 minutes later, it was like, oh, sorry, I had an emergency. And it was literally like bawling my eyes out. It was like the weirdest experience. I was like, this is so irrational. Like I say it as in that, but that irrational. But you felt completely jumping. abandoned by, mm-hmm. by her. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it wasn't until uh, Luke, my husband came in the room and he was like, just sat with me that oh. I just started laughing my ass off. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I, I truly, I just like, I just started to recognize it was like this swing back and forth where I just started to recognize how sad I was that this, this doctor who I like just had taken, you know, this is a, a road that's probably been, I've gotten prescribed stuff off and on ever since my daughter was born. When I started, like my psychic abilities really started up because I've gone through really dark periods and really wanted that consistency and like recognize that like my cycle in particular could have a lot of volatility in it for me and the people around me. And then to finally like be there and be on the precipice and be like, Hey, I am here, do this. And then it just not happen. It was hilarious. And she doesn't even like cancel us, send you a cancellation text or anything. Yeah. Yeah. So the only thing I can think of. Fuck you and your problem. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Fuck you and the journey that you've gone through for the last six years to actually come to my doorstep. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so the great conjunction, I hope that everyone's doing okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. I hope that everyone is really experiencing, um, how high, cause I, I mean, it's, it is like a giddy, like I have this giddy energy yeah. there. It just feels like so much potential right now. Yeah. Manifestation energy. Yeah, Absolutely. So yeah, I want to hear more about this monk, Anna. I okay, want to hear I will more about tell all you this. about my drug of choice this this week. Actually, it begins. The story begins with um, maybe two or three years ago. I had a dream, which was one of those dreams where you don't feel like it's a dream. Like the details, like um, I was I was a monk in a cave. Um, like I would want to say Tibetan or Chinese robes, like the burgundy sash across the chest. And I would say it wasn't a dream because I could see like every hair on the, on the back of the person in front of me's head, the other monk, it was shaven, buzz cut. I could see like the soot on the wall from the torches in the cave. And it was just the sense of like, this is extremely detailed and real. And it felt, it felt like it was a memory and not Mm -hmm. a, a dream. And in front of me is sitting my seated is this monk, this guru. And he is so full of joy and we're in there meditating, you know, maybe 15 of us monks, and he's sitting there facing us. And he had this joy that permeated the room. It was like, it was like in the air, it was like palpable. It was like thick. It was like this overwhelming sense of joy that just like overwhelmed you like a blanket. And in this moment, um, I either woke up or after the, I thought about the dream, I thought it would showed me that my definition of joy is so limited. Like this man was so joyful that his joy permeated the room to the extent that it affected everything it touched. Like, like no, nothing in that room was untouched by his joy, just seeping out of him. And it showed me that my definition of happiness or, and joy is so, is such a, is such a box, 
You know, it's such a tight little box of what I think is possible. And he was showing me, this dream was showing me that there is so much more out there. And it reminded me of this analogy of like the the tiger who's in the cage and they're in a five by five foot cage and they pace the cage and then they let the tiger out in a wild preserve. And what does it do? It still paces that five by five um, boundary. Why? Because of the familiar, you know, your brain creates neural pathways of what is familiar and you get used to certain behaviors and you repeat them because that's what's familiar to the brain. And it's not just that, you know, we pigeonhole and we create definitions without expanding our definitions. So I was just realizing, you know, my belief of joy, like if you ask pretty much, if you ask anyone, everyone's will say, if you ask, are you happy? Pretty much everyone will say, yeah, you know, for the most part I'm happy, but we look at them and think, how in the world is she saying she's happy? Like, <laughs> you know, Yep. <laughs> but, but in her world, according to her definition of happiness, she is happy. And in my world, my definition of happiness, it is happy. I am happy, but what if I expand my definition of happiness? Like, why not? Mm-hmm. So um, this weekend, Christina and I were at our shaman, Robbie's house, and she led us through a breathing session. And a breathing session is basically a technique or a tool where you are guided to stay completely in the present moment by staying aware of your breath. And there's a certain way that you breathe. And if she notices that you're going unconscious or doing shallow breathing, she will facilitate you, meaning she'll help guide you. Well, how, how would you explain a breathing session? A breathing session is, I think you're right. It's, it, it, it uses the breath to process emotions in the body, stuck energy, anything like that. And so it's a shamanic breathing technique that kind of facilitates going into a bit of a trance because you're, um, you're filling the body up with so much oxygen that the brain kind of stops functioning in its normal way, right? Like it kind of, it kind of gets inundated with, um, a flush of oxygen and then, um, it's almost like hyperventilating in a controlled manner, um, in and out through your mouth. And, uh, I think it's called holotropic breathing. I think like that's the official name of it. But I would say that uh, what it does is it makes it so that you are in your body, even if you're experiencing kind of hallucinations and stuff like that, like you're in your body and you're processing the emotions through your breath. Or I say emotions, but you're just, you're processing. You're processing. So um, Robbie asked us, you know, what's your intention for the session? And I said, I wanted to expand my definition of joy Mm -hmm. and um, go into my breathing and my trance-like session. And who shows up? And and when I say shows up, I mean, my eyes are closed and I'm visually getting an image. The monk from that past life or memory or Mm -hmm. dream shows up. And he basically guides me through my, the rest of the breathing session to explain some of beautiful things to me. Um, Mm -hmm. I actually wrote them down because there are so many. So Mm -hmm. he didn't actually speak English or speak to me in words. It was more, he was showing me images and visions and that, and then would kind of coax me to understand what he was trying to show me. And when I got the answer correct, he'd show me the next image. Oh, the monk basically showed me through a series of images and not words, different concepts. And the very first concept he showed me was, um, an image of reality 
weaving reality and, and like a comb, like a comb on the top and the bottom, like a, like a loom. And one was acceptance and one was resistance. And he was showing me that reality is this gentle balance of accepting and, and pushing away and resisting. And he kind of flashed before me, Sir, um, Sir Isaac Newton's uh, third law of motion, which is for every action or force in nature, there is an equal and opposite reaction. In other words, if you push on object A, it exerts a force onto object B, then object B exerts an equal and opposite force. What he was showing me through this loom is that when you resist anything, it pushes right back against you. So what he was showing me is that when you resist reality, what's ever happening in your reality, you're actually making it stronger. So if you want to dissolve your reality or dissolve what's bothering you in your reality, the simple thing is to do is accept it. Yeah. And that's, um, that's very similar to transurfing, which is a Russian physicist. Uh, one of my teachers, uh, got me into that last year and to the transurfing crowd, that's called excess potential. It's this idea that any if you build something up in your mind of a desire, like we talk about the law of attraction a lot and like, oh, I want this, I want this, I want this. It's like, actually, if you keep just like thinking, I want this, I want this, I want this, and like trying to do that and like not imagining, instead of imagining what it's like to just have it, just like accept it and see the vision of yourself with it, but not be attached to it, just be completely empty to it. If you keep saying, I want this, I want this, I want this, then you literally have an equal and opposite force saying, you can't have this, you can't have this, you can't have this, right? Like, so whatever attachment you have, the whatever... Because want is wanting something that you don't have, the very essence of wanting it's is not having it. Yeah, it's the resistance to the reality of what is, which is that you don't have it. So you're making that louder. <laughs> so much louder, so much louder. And like, that goes with anything, like trying to, trying to... I mean, that's that's not to bring up politics, but... It's the whole reason why if you don't like a political candidate and you put a lot of energy into not liking that political candidate, you're literally creating the equal and opposite force that that political candidate will be there. Like it's like you're giving, and not only that, but you're also feeding another energy field, which is just giving them more energy. Anyway, back to your story. Right. (laughs) Well, Okay, so the monk so the monk goes into detail to explain that there is absolutely nothing such as hate, like the whole idea of the definition of hate. Hate does not actually exist. Hate is just energy resisting reality. So there is no evil entity in the world. There is no hatred in the world. Hatred is simply when you have energy and you're resisting reality because reality is either not what you want or you want something else, which goes into the whole Dhammapada, right? Um, Suffering comes from wanting what you don't have or not wanting what you do have. So he's saying hatred is just resistance. So let's just, he's like, we're just not even going to use the word hatred here. We're going to talk about hate resistance. It's resisting reality as it is. You understand now that there is no such thing as hate and hate is really just resisting reality. He says, so what is in the absence of resistance? It's acceptance. And that is joy. So he explains clearly that there is no hate and we're going to use the term resisting, just resisting what is. And he says, you know, the opposite of hate then, then is not love. The opposite of hate is acceptance. Just accept everything, accept every little thing. And in acceptance is joy. 
And he said, look at me, like I'm an enlightened master. And just because I'm enlightened doesn't mean I don't experience human emotions like grief or sadness or anger, but I resist none of them. And in the absence of resistance, I am always joyful. That was the joy that like I felt in the room was just like pure energy flowing, like acceptance. There was no, no resistance in him. So joy is not the absence of bad feelings. It's the presence presence of any and all feelings with no resistance, AKA no hate. Right. And so that's just like kind of what I was saying at the beginning too, which is when, what alluded to this is like this whole idea that like, if you try and aim, if you are at all at any point trying to stop your emotions from happening in any of your practices, you make them stronger. (laughs) You are literally barking up the wrong tree, like completely. You're in the wrong fucking continent in the sense of like, and, and I've done it. I've done it. I did it for years. I probably still do it a lot, but yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. And you know, I had a great taste of this in action, which was like the following day, my business, someone called me to try to negotiate a bill that they hadn't paid for two years, um, a law, a law, a law group. And I was angry and I was like, nope, I'm not negotiating. If anything, you owe me interest. And if anyone knows me, like a year ago, two years ago, I would have been sweet little people pleaser. Yeah, let's work it out. But I was like, nope, I'm angry and you need to pay me. And I resisted none of it. I didn't judge myself for being angry. I didn't question myself. Am I being too um, bitchy? I just accepted as it was. And I totally felt the joy behind the anger that he talked about. Like I was joyous in my anger. That's so amazing. It was awesome. That's and so I hung amazing. up like, yeah, you're going to pay me. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, right? It's like the joy behind the anger because fundamentally the the hatred, the self-hate that we build up for ourselves because... I shouldn't be angry. Yeah. You know, shouldn't is the great resistor. <laughs> it's the great resistor. Actually, my dad, ever since I was little, my dad always said should doesn't exist. And it... First, I thought he meant like the societal should, like, well, you should be doing this. And I was like, no, actually the should is like the ego's word, like for lack of a better way, like the part of you that is, is like whose bread and butter is resistance, right? Right. Who wants you to be in the world and wants you to think that you're a body. We'll just call that the egoic mind, right? Right. Is should like, yeah. Yeah. Resistance, best friend is should. (laughs) Yeah. So. He goes on to say that the monk in this vision, he says, um, you want to be more joyful. So if you want to be more joyful, you have to let go of resistance. Like if that is, that's it, that's it. That's all of it in a nutshell. And I'm thinking about it and I'm thinking about all the, you know, the deep meditation Dhammapada studies I've done. And yep, pretty much he's, he nailed it on the, uh, he hit the nail on the head, like mm-hmm. accept it all and you'll be more joyful. He said, he said, It was funny. He goes, you know, the majority of life is boring. Like you're going to spend the majority of your life sitting in a chair, waiting for something to happen, driving your car, wiping snot off your kid's face, washing dishes, getting dressed. Like the majority of your life is boring. And we try to hold on to staying in the present moment and accepting moment to moment. And then what pulls us out of it? Boredom. I'm present in the moment. I'm present in the moment. I'm feeling this. I'm accepting reality. Oh wait, reality's boring. Let's turn on Netflix. Let's check my phone. Let's call somebody. Let me run from or resist the boredom of life. And he said, he said, you know, for every force you exert, it creates an opposite force. So just accept that life is boring and it will become less boring. 
<laughs> so he says, you know, when you're sitting there accepting moment to moment and you catch yourself slipping away because it's getting boring, just say to yourself, this is life and life is boring for the most part. And I accept it. I accept that life is boring. And when you do it, that boredom becomes weaker and you can hold on to that present moment awareness a little bit longer. And I've noticed that the periods where I'm aware and present and accepting, they've stretched out to become a little longer and a little longer because I've made my boredom weaker simply by accepting boredom. So um, he said, by accepting whatever exists now is your most sure way to becoming more full of joy in the future. Because if you can get your mind into the mental habit of accepting moment to moment, no matter how mundane everything is, then when something arises in your reality field that would you would normally hate, AKA resist, your mind is much more well-trained to accept it when it occurs. Right. Right. So you gotta, you gotta ride the bike or you gotta ride the, the stationary bike of boredom so that when the action, well, it's all actual stuff, right? It's all actual well, resistance. Yeah. Yeah. Ride your stationary bike so you can get on the highway when it's time you can get on the highway and really navigate your, yeah. yeah, fitness, mental fitness. So he says there are three ways to remove resistance. He's like, you can just do one of them and you're going to hit all of it. But if you do two of them, awesome dynamite. If you do all three, like that's phenomenal. So he said, mindfulness in the moment to moment will remove conscious resistance. So that's yep. staying present in the moment, moment to moment, accepting whatever is or whatever arises is removing conscious resistance. Right. Okay. And he says, when you're doing your deep work, like your shadow work, your past life regressions, your childhood memories, your mm -hmm. deprogramming of toxic beliefs, whatever you want to call, you know, that you're not necessarily in the present moment. You might even be thinking back on old beliefs. So, you know, it's more a little esoteric when you're doing that shadow work, we'll call it, you are removing unconscious resistance mm -hmm. and you need, you need both. Absolutely. Um, and he said, either path will lead to the ultimate goal of removal of resistance, but doing both is dynamite. He said the very last one to remove resistance is grace, which is, we're going to save that topic for another day, but grace is the third method that he gives for removing resistance. And I can say that since having this vision, I feel like my definition of joy has expanded and I feel more joyful simply by accepting accepting it all. Like, mm -hmm. like just I'm washing the dishes. I'm like, fuck, I don't want to wash the dishes. Hey, I accept that I don't, that I'm resisting washing the dishes. I'm accepting that this is boring. And in doing that, I'm recognizing that that moment is so valuable. Like that moment becomes as great of a teacher than any monk vision. You mm -hmm. know, if I can stay present in the moment, in the mundanity, mund what's the word? Yeah. Mundanity. Mundanity, mundanity of life. Mundanity. Mundane. Yeah, something like that. yeah. Yeah. So basically the mundane moments of our life in some ways are our greatest gifts. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, it's interesting you say that because it is so easy for our minds to just be like, oh yeah, I heard what she said. You know what I mean? And, and it's like, but when it's like, it's one of those things. It's like, when you get it, you really get it. And you're like, yes, I totally get this. But then you try and, you know, it's, it, it's like what, when you're first starting out on this journey of acceptance, there are a lot of different tools and resources that you can have to kind of, that serve as like 
secretaries on your shoulder. Yeah. Or just secretaries on your shoulder. Exactly. Um, or training wheels or something like that. One of the best things to do is to do like what Anna and I have done, which is like, we've been like spiritual sisters for what? Before I got married or you, and you met Luke, right? Yeah. So for 10 years now, when we first met at, um, Vipassana meditation and, it really ramped up when, when we both had kids, when I, when I, when I finally, like when I finally, when I, um, when I had my daughter, it was like, that's when we started like really exploring all these different areas. But like, I mean, how many times have you just been like, you're just in it, like you're in the middle of a process and you're getting lost in it and you got to just, you know, you got to back out. Like, like, there's no, how many times have we texted each other and just been like, I've been like, I'm so angry at this person or I'm so angry at this. And the other person's like, just love it. Just, Oh, isn't that cute? Isn't that cute that you're, you're, uh, (laughs) you know, that you're, you're hating yourself or that you're, you're experiencing this right now. And you know what? It's all good. Accept it. Yeah. Right. So having that, that spiritual, um, Partner in crime is incredibly important. Right. Like in the Dhammapada, Buddha just says that there's three triple gems or three triple gems, one triple gem <laughs> that would make nine gems. He says, Buddha, Sangha, Dhamma. So Buddha, meaning an enlightened person who can kind of lead the way and guide you. Mm-hmm. Dhamma, meaning law of nature, like the law of reality, truth, you know? Yeah. And then Sangha, which is your spiritual community. And it's really important like, why did he make song? Why did he put Sangha up there with him? Like, and with Dhamma, which is the law of nature. Um, but Sangha is so important. It's so important to find somebody or a community, um, that supports you in your spiritual path because mm-hmm. they're the ones who have your back. They're going to call you out. They're going to help pick you back up when you fall. And, and, um, yeah, Sangha is, is quite the gem and you are my Sangha. Mm-hmm. And lucky me. Yes. Yeah. And, and and that's the thing, right? Cause like you can read a lot of, a lot of us find it. What's more accessible now is the Buddha, so to speak, like in the sense that people, somebody will write a book and not all books are created equal, but there are some, as I like to call gateway books that just like open people's worlds up. Like one, um, like autobiography of a yogi by Yogananda Paramahansa Yogananda is one of them. The power of now by Eckhart Tolle. Uh, the way the peaceful warrior by Dan Millman eat, pray, love was for a lot of people by Elizabeth Gilbert. There's a couple of others that I was mentioning the other day. Do you I know am who? that by, I can't say his name, Nisagartha something. <laughs> I, I haven't heard of that one. I am that. Mm-hmm. Okay. I know be here now was big back in the sixties for people was, that was Ram Das, And there, there, there are a couple of ones that have like really transcended in terms of like, Oh, the four agreements. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking about the four agreements. Cause that's, you know, um, do your best. Don't think, don't take anything personally. Don't make any assumptions and can never remember the last one, but there's a couple of them that really transcend and they kind of, they give you the wisdom you need to like go. And then hopefully you then find other people who are also going to be on that journey with you, right? They're going to be like, they're going to say like, okay, like I'm going to, I'm going to do this too. I'm going to read this book or you get a friend to read the book too, or you go online and you find a community of people who are all about the four agreements. And then, and then you're actually able to, to like get further into it because it's really easy for us to read a book and just be like, oh, cool. I get it. And then but to live it, but to live it is different. 
And then that sangha really helps you, holds you accountable for that. And the law of nature as well. Inescapable. Yeah, you can't escape the law of nature. Yep. Yep. Cool. Such as if you exert a force, equal and opposite force will... (laughs) Come right back and push on you. Yep, yep. Um, one of our, uh, one of your husband's friends who ended up being one of our friends, he has this great TED Talk, Marshall Thurber. He has this great uh, TED Talk on, he talks about procession, which is this law of nature, which we're not going to get into today, but it's really interesting because the whole first part of his TED Talk is all about, so if you were going to try and base your life on something, what would you base your life on? Like, would you base your life on, you know, something that is like, changeable and like a, like a law of something that's like, Oh yeah, you should, you should drink, you know, drink lots of water. That, that's, <laughs> that may be a law of nature, but you should, uh, you know, drink, uh, have acai berry all the time. Like you have to drink, you know, or you have to have, you know, one of the fads, it's not an immutable law of nature, right? Cauliflower crust pizza. Ca- yes. Thank you. <laughs> Cauliflower crust pizza is going to be the thing or, you know, um, shilajit is like the one thing that's like, it's the new, it herb that exists, you know, I think shilajit's from India, it's in Ayurveda. And like, you're just like, okay, let's actually, you know, food is one thing. And like, even, even things that just aren't, that are changeable, right? It's like, it's things that, that you can't really necessarily depend on to, to be the same from year to year. Instead, base your fundamental behaviors in life on principal laws of nature, because whether we like it or not, we exist in a system that has laws. Right. And as we transcend that and as we accept it, then we can bend those laws a little bit. I've maybe a little bit, right? But being able to bend the laws should not be synonymous with being spiritually advanced. Exactly. The, the rule, the, the goal is not to bend the laws, even if you can. It's just a byproduct. It is. It is the, as you said, molasses at the the sugar cane factory. It's the molasses at the sugar cane factory. Exactly. This is awesome. Thank you, Anna. This is my turn and it will be your turn on the next episode. Yep. And I will be following up with that third law, not third law. What did he, what would he say? Third way of removing resistance, which is awesome. No, that's good. Thank you so much, Anna, for sharing, which is acceptance of reality as it is, no matter how boring it is. Oh God. Life can be boring. So hard. So hard. Life is boring. What am I saying? It can be. It's totally boring. Yeah. <laughs> Other than when we talk together and we like are like, let's do this new process. Yay! Let's try a new drug of choice. Exactly. Cool. All right. All right. Till next time. Till next time. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of This Spiritual Fix. Please be sure to like us, give us a rating, and leave reviews so that people can find us and so that we can get on the charts. Thanks so much and have an amazing day. And remember, humility, acceptance, gratitude, done. Let me tell you all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. 
This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it. And all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover.